Good evening. It's good being with you all tonight. Uh, it's a joy to be able to come together for these, these evening services. Um, this year, we're, gonna, we're looking at the Great Commission. Tonight, we're going to continue in that theme. The first week, we had Pastor Jordan spoke to us about the requirement for all of us to be fulfilling this commission. It's not uh, for a certain class of people, but all of us are, are, have something required of us here. And then at the last service, Nick challenged us to speak to those outside the church, and he gave what I thought was a helpful illustration of what would happen if each of us made a commitment to telling everyone we meet something about Jesus, to talking to everyone and see how quickly we could reach the Toledo area. So today we're going to talk about what this call means for us within the church, amongst each other, how we should relate to each other. What does discipleship look like within the body of believers? We're going to talk about the difference between being a producer in the church and being a consumer. So for our passage, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, being Jesus, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell beside the road. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root, and they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns... These are the ones who have heard, and as, as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it calls us to act. I pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight. That we would learn, that we would learn how we can grow and how we can help one another within the church. Praising in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who crave closure. Similarly, there are two types of people in the church. There are those who produce and those who consume, those who give and those who take. As we look at the different kinds of seed, there are many reasons 
for the crops to fail. But in the end, the distinction is whether the seed bears fruit or not. Now, for the most of the past year, I had the blessing of working with Matt Ingram at his foundry. At the foundry, we made different parts. We would, we would have sand molds, and we would pour metal into the middle of them, and mostly we were making automotive parts. After the metal cools, you break open the mold, you have a part. I started out in doing the pouring, and if I could get the picture, Ailey, up here. If you look at this picture, this is, this is in process of pouring one of the molds. So you have uh, the crucible that's full of molten aluminum. It's being held by that ring around the, the center, kind of towards the bottom of it. The guy on the right is uh, controlling a crane going up and down. And then the guy on the left is using those handles to control the tilt. So they'll walk up to that mold and then he'll use those handles to pour the metal into the mold to make the part. Uh, so my second day at the foundry last year, we were getting everything ready. We were about to pour some molds. They looked, they looked exactly like those molds. That was the part we were pouring. Everything was set. The molds were assembled. The metal was around 1,400 degrees. It was melted, ready to pour. Uh, and just before we got to the molds, the guy who was responsible for controlling the tilt, it wasn't me, the guy who was responsible for controlling the tilt, he lost focus. He had to step over something and lost focus for just a second. And he let go of one of the handles. Now, if you, I have this water bottle here. If you take a cup that's full of liquid and you hold it at the top, you know, and you let go, it's not going to do anything. But that ring is near the bottom. And if you let go and you aren't paying attention to what happens, that cup will very easily tilt, which is exactly what happened. 200 pounds of molten aluminum dumped all over the floor right in front of our feet. That's how, that's how close we were standing to this pot of metal. When that happens, you run. That's all you do. You run. You get out of the way. <laughs> so that's what we did. Uh, praise God, everyone got out of the way in time. No one was hurt. This was a rare thing. The, the people that were there said they had never seen that happen before. Um, but we didn't have any parts. If I could get the, the next picture. This is after we cleaned up. That's, that's what it looked like. It was a shopping cart full of metal that looked like peanut brittle. That was all we had. So we had spent all the time getting the molds ready. We had every intention of the world of making parts. But in the end, it didn't matter. At the end of that day, Matt didn't have any parts that he could sell. When we look at our lives and the call of the Great Commission, Jesus requires fruitfulness. The crops in our passage that didn't bear fruit were useless, just as the metal that was on the ground didn't make any money. All the good intentions in the world don't matter if there's no fruit. So it's very important that in all areas of our lives, in our homes, in the world, and in the church, we ask whether we are bearing fruit. We need to ask ourselves which group we're in, what kind of seed, what kind of ground are we, and then what do we need to do about it. So as we examine ourselves here, it's important we have a clear view of the dividing line. The line between the groups doesn't run the way you might expect so I'd like to look, 
both at what the difference is and then what the difference is not between the producers and the consumers. First, let's look at what the difference isn't. One of the most important distinctions here is that the difference between producers and consumers isn't the same as the difference between pastors, elders, deacons, and lay people. Pastor Jordan talked about this in his sermon, but the call to make disciples is a call for all believers. Your occupation doesn't make a difference between whether you are a producer or a consumer in the church. Your occupation doesn't limit you as a disciple maker. In scripture, Ezra was a priest from the tribe of Levi, but Nehemiah was a government official, and he led Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Moses was also from the tribe of Levi, but Joshua, who led Israel, was from the tribe of Ephraim. God is not limited in who he uses to build his kingdom. He calls you to work and make disciples just as he does those who are ordained. I'm not saying that there isn't a special call for our pastors. The Bible says very clearly that we're supposed to honor them for their work. But we cannot use that as an excuse to let ourselves slide, to lower the expectations for ourselves. Do you expect things of your pastors and elders that you don't expect of yourselves? And perhaps even more tellingly, do you expect things of your pastor's children that you don't expect of your own children? Our view towards building the church and raising our children to do the same shouldn't be different from those who work in full-time ministry. Now, the difference is also not the same as the difference between young and old. Paul tells Timothy not to let anyone look down on him for his youth. And he was working as a pastor in Ephesus at that time. Jesus said the, script, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children and those like them. And on the other hand, there are many in Scripture that serve God faithfully well into their hundreds. So clearly the age does not make the difference between producers and consumers. So what is the difference? How can we tell which category we're in? Our passage gives us a few questions we can ask ourselves to help reveal whether we are more consumer or producer. Do you fall away in times of temptation? Are you choked by worries and riches and pleasures of this life? Do you bear fruit? Look at your life. What fruit is there? There's a principle that God has created into the world that I think is helpful here. If you look at the definition of a fruit, the actual food that we will eat, it's, it's the plant that has the seed within it. When God says that the seed on good soil bears fruit, one of the things that that means is that there is more seed to plant on more soil. In the same parable in Matthew 13, Jesus says the good seed bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. It's not a small amount of fruit. Last evening service, Nick gave the illustration of what could happen if each of us talked to 13 people each week. Imagine if we talked to 30, 60, or 100. Jesus expects fruit. The fruit of your life is the surest sign of whether you are living in obedience to the Great Commission. Be honest about the quantity and quality of your fruit as you examine these questions for yourselves. 
Now, a few more questions to help apply this to our lives. When you meet with people, do you have more meetings asking for help than you do giving it? Are you going to the pastors and elders asking for advice, or are you looking around to find people who need encouragement and then giving it to them? Are you more likely to be building someone up or asking to be built up? These questions reveal our selfishness. We like to talk about ourselves and our problems. We like other people to spend their time thinking about us and how we can be helped. Dale Carnegie said, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. His, his advice was to use that principle to get ahead in business, famously to win friends and influence people. But we should recognize the truth of his statement as an admission of our sinfulness. We are inherently selfish. The way we want our conversations to go reveals our status as consumers. Looking at our actions, do you spend more time serving or being served? We've been blessed here at Christ the Word with a very active church body. That means there are a lot of events to go to throughout the year. How many of these events do you go to and enjoy the work that someone else has done versus how many do you go and work at? Obviously, not everyone can volunteer at every event. And activity, but looking at that ratio can be revealing. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, there is some way that we need to change to become producers. But before I go into what that change looks like, I want to be clear there are a couple of valid reasons to consume. Scripture is clear that in times of crisis, those who are going through those times should be helped. Ephesians 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the other will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. There's nothing wrong with needing to be helped up in times of trouble. There's nothing wrong with asking for that help. One of the biggest blessings of being a part of a local church body is the help that you can receive from the church. Be willing to receive that help when you have fallen. At the same time, we need to be careful not to be the ones telling God what he should expect from us. When John the Baptist died, Jesus went to be alone. And yet when he saw others in need, he went to them and healed them. He didn't complain that he was in a time of crisis. He saw a need and he helped. Now, the other time to be a consumer in the church is when you are a new believer or when you need to grow. It's not wrong, rather it's honorable to ask for help when you need it. We should be seeking to receive the things we need to grow from others. Paul doesn't say it's wrong for new believers to receive milk, but he does warn against those who don't grow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So accept that you need help, and then grow so that you can turn and give that help to others. 
Practice to have your senses trained to discern good and evil and seek maturity in your faith. At the same time, while you're growing, there's always someone that you can help. This morning, I was speaking with a young man who was recently married. And not that it matters, his last name rhymes with McClavick. I asked him how marriage is going. And he said that after about four weeks, he feels like a seasoned veteran. He said, if I ever need any advice, I should let him know. (laughs) It makes us laugh. And of course, Isaac was joking. He made it very clear to me that he was joking. He wanted me to make it very clear to you that he was joking. Um, But the reality is, there are still many in our church that Isaac could give advice to. He's still growing in marriage, but there are many in the youth group, and even those his age and older, who would greatly benefit from his wisdom. Those of you who are in youth group, you would probably receive similar laughs if you said you were going to disciple Isaac. But there are many who are in Sparkies or others in Awana who could use your help. I expect my three-year-old to teach and set an example for my one-year-old. There's always someone that you can help. I was struck today as we were being led in worship uh, by the fact that There's no one that was on stage that was older than me. We had the young people leading us. Age was not a distinction between whether they were producers or consumers. These people were leading us in worship. When a seed is planted, it needs water, sunlight, and time to grow. No one plants an apple seed and then goes the next day expecting a bushel of apples. But at the same time, a full-grown tree that does not produce fruit or only produces bad fruit has a problem. Jesus expects fruit from his plants. Accepting times of crisis or times of maturing, we should be working to be producers in the church. In the parable of the sower, there, is no, there are no acceptable reasons for a lack of fruit. We should work to make disciples. So then what does this look like within the church? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 to admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. We're to help each other. Look around you. Again, think about someone other than yourself. Can you see someone who needs encouragement? Can you see someone who's heading down a dangerous and sinful path? Help them. Don't just leave it for others. Don't assume there's a closer friend or an elder who has it under control. We don't need to wait until we have all the details to reach out and care in whatever way we are able. Now, if you're worried about challenging someone because you feel you aren't close enough to them, then that just gives you another way that you can help because you can become their friend. You can become close to them so that you can help them in their sin, help them out of their sin, rather. Calling someone out is not being an enemy. It's being enough of a friend to say something that is difficult so that he can move out of that sin. Let everything you do be done in love. Spend real time thinking about other people and how you can love them. We're blessed to be part of a large local church. This gives us many resources that smaller churches don't have, but it also comes with its own difficulties. There is too much work in this church to be taken care of by a small handful of people. 
if our church is going to continue for generations to come, and I pray that it does, each of us needs to take responsibility to be producers, to be helping each other and fulfilling the needs that you see. I know many of you do this, and I praise God and encourage you to continue. For those of you, though, who leave the serious conversations, both positive and negative, to others, change today. Be fruitful, bearing seed after your own kind, sharing God's word with others. So find someone that you can help. In addition to bearing fruit by having these conversations, we need to be serving in the church. There are so many ways to serve. Uh, before I was working at the foundry, uh, I was blessed to be working on staff here at the church for about three years. And during that time, I got to work with many of you as you graciously and without complaint gave your time and your energy to serve. I am grateful that the willingness to serve is central to our church. And I encourage you to continue. In doing so, don't think there are any jobs that are beneath you. Before I was on staff, uh, I would serve occasionally on the usher team. Then when I came on staff and I was working at the church, I often had responsibilities on a Sunday morning, made it difficult to, to be there to, to serve as an usher, and so I bowed out. Now, fast forward three years, when I go and I talk to Zach, his good friend, you know, sharing with him some of the things that I'm going through, and I tell him that I'm going to be moving on and not working at the church anymore. I think it was less than 60 seconds when he asked me to be back on the usher rotation. I think it might have been the first thing that he said. <laughs> now, I was, I'm ashamed to say it, but I said no. My pride looked at serving on, as an usher as a step backwards. That was something that I used to do before I was, I don't know, important or something, before I knew what was going on at the church. It's silly, but I turned Zach down for a long time. He kept asking. Uh, until recently, Mike Arndt, let us in a prayer of confession, he talked about not turning down jobs that we think are beneath us. And I realized it was simply my pride that was keeping me from serving. And so I texted Zach, and he hasn't put me on the schedule yet, but I do look forward to greeting you all at the doors very soon. Don't think there's a job that's beneath you. If someone asks you to serve in some way and it's within your power to do it, accept and do it without complaining. Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read verses 14 through 26, so it's a longer passage. Bear with me. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, 
giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, if no one asks you to serve, if no one asks you to help, don't let that be an excuse to wait. Ask them if you can help. Approach those who lead the many different ministries of our church and save them the trouble of having to find volunteers. Ask for a job without any expectation of what that job will be. And then see how God will work. And then lastly, serve without asking, without being asked, and without being given a formal job. Simply look around for ways you can help and take action. A few years ago, I was sitting up in the balcony, I think I was right about there, and I noticed a baby downstairs spit up. It was, it was impressive. It was, uh, there was a lot. It's, as an aside, if you haven't sat up in the balcony yet, you should try it. There's, you'll see the first floor in an entirely new light. Anyways, this baby spits up, and Greg Macer, he wasn't in the same row. He wasn't serving as an usher. He was simply sitting uh, as a part of worship. But he notices and quietly immediately gets up to go and goes and helps. He had his eyes open, and he saw a way that he could serve. We should all work to be servants like this. Make a meal for someone who's busy. Babysit for the new parents who don't have family in town. Help a widow with a house project. Or learn the pronunciation and spelling of every Daugherty child's name. <laughs> in all seriousness, as we talk about the Great Commission and what it means to make disciples and teaching others to observe Jesus' commands, a big part of that should be caring for and teaching the children of the church. Get to know them, learn their names, serve them as well. There are so many ways to serve one another if we just open our eyes and think about others more than ourselves. So bear fruit in all areas of your lives. Consider what Christ's call to make disciples means in the world, as Nick spoke about a couple weeks ago, but also consider what it means in your family and in the church. Don't limit yourself to being producers only in certain areas or at specific times. Don't be content with being an infant in the faith, always receiving teaching and, and help and never giving it. Sacrifice your entire life to building God's kingdom, no matter where he's placed you. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So suffer and spend yourself to bear fruit and fulfill the Great Commission. Grow to the point that you can help and teach others, and then teach them what you have received. Work to strengthen the church so that we can all be more effective as we go out into the world to share the gospel with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling us to be your disciples and also to make disciples. I pray that you would help us to bear fruit. Help us to have our eyes open, to not be selfish, but to see needs and how we can work to fill those needs. I pray that you would help us to repent of our sin and that you would help us to work to obey your commands. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.